from Brooklyn, New York. I'm Adam Teeter, and this is a VinePair podcast conversation. We're bringing you these conversations within our regular podcast episodes in order to examine how we're moving forward as a drinks business following the COVID-19 crisis. Today, I'm talking with Campbell Brown, president of Old Forester. Campbell, thank you so much for joining me. Thank you, Adam. It's nice to uh, be on your podcast today. Of course. Yeah, it's great to have you as a guest. So before we uh, jump into sort of the main conversation, love to hear a little bit about you, um, your background, and your connection to Old Forester. Sure. Um, I've been at Brown Foreman for, uh, I think, 26 years in September and have done a very uh, various jobs around here, um, mostly sales and marketing internationally as well as domestically. Ran a lot of our East Coast business, uh, the Midwest, Canada. And about five years ago, um, I was asked to lead our Old Forester business um, at a time when Old Forester was beginning to um, demonstrate some resiliency, like a lot of other bourbons uh, within the category, um, due to you know the the, the wonderful uh, consumer engagement with the category again. And so I've been doing this job now for five years or so, maybe. And um, I'm also a director uh, with Brown Foreman Corporation. I've been on the board, oh gosh, I think about three years um, as well. Very cool. So um, can you give me a little bit of background history on Old Forester as, as, a, as a bourbon in the U.S.? Sure. It was, um, it's, well, this year we're celebrating our 150th anniversary. So it's wow. been around. Yeah. Been around for a while. I did not realize that actually, that it was that old. Yes. Yeah. Uh, 1870, George Garvin Brown, my uh, great, great grandfather started the the brand and, and our company on the back of old Forrester, which at the time was, um, he was a pharmaceutical salesman. And, uh, in that capacity, you know, alcohol, bourbon, whiskey was often used for medicinal purposes. And also at that time, um, the quality and consistency of those products was um, iffy at best and uh, downright deadly uh, at times. And he found that to be counterproductive to what he was trying to do and decided that he would source and create his own whiskey to provide to his customers and actually was, I guess you would call him a, a rectifier uh, in the very earliest of days. He used three different distilleries that are no longer in operation around town, uh, Mattingly Distillery, Melwood, and Atherton. Okay. And by, yeah, buy bourbon from them. He would create a um, his own batch. He was the first person to bottle and sell exclusively by the bottle this product called Old Forester. And he put his name and its seal of approval on it, signed it. And uh, that began the, uh, that was the origin of, of Old Forester and, and America's first bottled bourbon. Amazing. So tell me, you said there's a little bit of a, there's five years ago, there was sort of a resurgence of the brand. I mean, I've, it's funny, I've, I've been aware of the brand because my father is a, um, a forestry professor. He's an economist and his specialty oh, yeah. is forestry. So people used to gift him the bottle often, yeah. which is, oh, which is so easy. funny. <laughs> I was like, oh yeah. yeah, I'll just give it to you. And he's like, yeah. I'm an economist, not really a forester, but sure. I like the bourbon. So thank you. Um, but I've always, so I've always been aware of the brand, but I, I definitely have also noticed it more and more over the past few years. So can you sort of take us through sort of how, how you think that happened and, and what's happened to the brand since? Yeah. So um, at a time in the 70s, this brand was a million cases and wow. uh, a bunch of different things happened, right? People um, had th- their taste changed. Uh, we bought Jack Daniels in the late 50s, which sort of changed our company quite a bit. And um, 
And I think Old Forester, um, you know, suffered because of that, uh, mostly because uh, the the arrival of vodka on our shores in, in the early 70s of imported vodka and then that awful phase of uh, flavored vodkas. Right. And, and that went on and on and on. And then, you know, we all saw this general resurgence about 10 to 12 years ago in bourbon as consumers were again looking for something um, with a little bit more of a story, maybe complex flavors. Um, Old Forester never really went away. Um, it's always been a very popular brand here where, you know, bourbon is kind of king in Kentucky and Louisville in particular. Um, but we began to see quietly a um, the, the business show real signs of life in markets where it had not in many years, like in Chicago and Miami and LA, um, even in Brooklyn, where a lot of uh, these trends, it's important that they they actually um, have some success in markets like that. And, and Old Forester was beginning to have that as well. And I think uh, for a couple of reasons. One, it's a very approachable bourbon in terms of its flavor profile. It's it's uh, while it's 86 proof uh, and there's also the 100 proof. It's it's very drinkable. Um, it's a well balanced bourbon. It's lovely in a cocktail. It stands up well, uh, whether it's in a Manhattan or a Coca Cola. And so, for people that were looking to get into the uh, category, this was a, a nice entry point. And many bartenders knew about it. Right. And they often they knew about it as well because it was so affordable. So you not only had a very good consistent um, product, it was priced very well. Um, and it continues to be, and um, and again, it serves a bunch of different purposes in terms of um, a. It's it's got a neat history, so I think some bartenders that understand that and like to share a little bit of the um, background of things with their consumers. Here's one that had 150 years of background, and so look, a lot of things worked in our favor. Obviously, people in general liked uh, began to really lean into the category, and we've been benefiting as, as a result of that. Amazing. So I know a lot of that, you know, as you, you talked about bartenders, uh, has changed now in the last you know, three to four months. So since the, the beginning of sort of the, the COVID pandemic, what has changed for, for you and the brand and how have you adapted? Um, oh, well, everything's pretty much changed. Yeah. Um, the, uh, I mean, I'm sitting in my office today in, in Louisville and, and there's not many people here and, and we're what, five, six months, what is it, five months into it. And I don't see that changing very quickly either. Um, and for all the right reasons. Um, but as this began to hit, you know, I think like many organizations and, and businesses and families, your focus turned internal and you're looking at your your people and, and how they were functioning. You looked at your um, key um, contributors and for us, it's production and, and how do we keep those folks um, safe and, and in a position to come to work and, and make whiskey every day and other things. And so that was immediately where um, our attentions went to is just understanding the risks involved with our own people and their families. And then you begin to look outside of your bubble uh, to the partners that you have. And many of our, our partners are, um, you know, not just our distributors and wholesale partners, but the, the people that have been building our brands in the on-premise um, and off-premise for, for many years. And so like a lot of other organizations, we, um, we, we pivoted into making hand sanitizer, which um, helped a bunch of people. We did uh, 
a lot of programs locally, not just in Louisville, but where we have, uh, you know, a good pot of, of our own people and, and outreach for bartenders. Uh, we did uh, ways in which we can get food to them, ways in which we could help them with their um, uh, bottle sales that they, they began to be able to do with the cocktails to go, um, bringing some attention to the, the difficulties that they were facing um, and the challenges uh, operators and employees had in, in that sector. And then certainly we, um, we, we uh, look to redeploy some, some dollars uh, towards um, the effort to to keep those folks um, safe and to keep them hopefully um, in a position where they could, you know, get things for their families and themselves, uh, whether that was food or, um, you know, go, taking a course or engaging online. And and so we did that through bartender uh, communities and, and um, various other institutions that were also pivoting at the same time, looking for ways in which they could help their constituents. Right. Do you see, so uh, sort of looking at the market now, yeah. it's, you know, early August when we're talking, have you seen some of the the bartenders come back? Has some of your uh, approach to working with the bartenders changed a little bit now, or are you mostly still focusing on sort of educating consumers directly and off-premise sales and things like that? You know, I I thought literally about three weeks ago that we would be pivoting back into the on-premise with right. tools, resources, um, a level of energy and almost celebration. And it's just not happening. Obviously we've, we've seen what's happened and in those markets that, you know, have, have opened up quickly or, um, you know, and, and it's not been great. And so, and I think that's the worst situation, right? It was where you, you, you create these expectations and then you just pull them out from underneath people. And, and I, what we're trying to do now is just be really listen to and understand what's happening in these various markets and communities. And we're lucky that we're, while we're a small brand, we're a big organization and, and we have the ability to understand what's happening in Texas and Florida and California and New York. So, I think we're going to continue to need to be cautious. Um, I th you know, we're, we're looking at, um, you know, creating things that would allow them, uh, the bartenders and the, and the restaurants and the bars to um, be more nimble as it relates to package sales for cocktails uh, to go um, and looking at different um, at different ways in which we can assist them in getting that product and, and messaging the product to con their consumers and, and their communities. And, and that's, I think, what we'll continue to do um, until things change. So, yeah, so I have a question for you. So obviously, um, you know, this summer we saw explosive sales of tequila. Um, you know, I think it's what people really think of when they think of the summer. But when they think of the fall, a lot of people turn to bourbon, right? And so... Uh, we saw certain brands this summer try to figure out how they could still take advantage of people's interest in tequila with interesting digital campaigns or ways that they were reaching out to consumers and stuff like that. I know obviously the Derby has been rescheduled for September 5th. That is not an old Forrester brand that sponsors it, but it is one of your others. No, we sponsor it too. We're, we're oh, old Forrester does too? We sponsor the race that leads into the uh, Kentucky Derby. So, we, ah, we interesting. The, you know, it's so funny because I always yeah. just think it's Woodford because it's it's so. Yeah, We're working on that. We're working on that. But yeah, so my question is sort of, what else have you thought about other things that sort of 
you'll be able to do maybe tentpole messaging or ways yeah. that you're reaching out that, that do still speak to people and say, like, look, we know it's fall and falls when you start to think about bourbon again. So we're here for you and here what we're doing. So, I mean, there's a couple of things. First, I mean, we did, you know, we actually did a, a, a like a very out of the box sort of Kentucky Derby um, event uh, in May that coincided with when that race would have been run, but we ran uh-huh. it with, uh, we ran it with a, uh, some world champion turtles. And we oh, turtle I did see that. <laughs> yeah. And so, you know, and I, and I think, so the question is, do we do it again? You know, I, I think our focus will really be on the julep and, and leaning into the tradition of, of the julep and the mint julep and, and our role, we are the official bourbon of the, uh, of the uh, mint julep that sold at trackside, the premixed, and um, and so we'll be we'll be leveraging that. It's a great cocktail to drink, you know, summer or fall, and mm-hmm. easy to make at home. And so I think Jackie's I can our master taster um, will be you know very visible, uh, um, talking about that and talking about the um, old fashioned. Um, and I think we'll just hopefully use what will be a, a very large global event that's on TV in September now to. Um, to celebrate, hopefully, uh, you know, something we can do at home and, and maybe it's a peek into what normalcy could look like, but, um, but doing it in a safe distance from everybody. In addition, we've got a partnership with Disney and a film um, series called The Kingsman. And they've got a um, the, the third, it's a prequel of The Kingsman called The Kingsman okay. coming out in September. So we'll be doing a few things with... Um, I think with, with uh, Fandango and, and the Disney folks, um, you know, around cocktails that that I think fit into that movie nicely, but on a smaller level. And, um, you know, it's interesting with the summer. I mean, our business has really been quite um, resilient through all of this and, and particularly for our premium products, the Whiskey Rose series. And I've I think one of the reasons why we've seen the premium segments of almost every spirit category grow um, over the course of this COVID situation is that people aren't able to travel and they aren't able right. to, to take, to spend money on their families and themselves. And so I think, you know, buying a, a $50 or $60 bottle of, of bourbon becomes a way to reward yourself for making it through another sometimes horrible week. And, you know, whether it's a tequila, a vodka, a whiskey, a bourbon, you know, I, I think that those moments will still be important to folks as we continue down this path, hopefully towards a solution and, and um, vaccine. So, yes, yeah, so that's, that's my question for you. And I, I think, you know, what you're saying we've is in line with, with the behavior we've seen as well. So that's definitely, you know, reinforces, I think, what a lot of people have, have written about in terms of, you know, using some of these really amazing liquids as a means of escape or feeling like you're on vacation, et cetera. As you look forward, obviously, you know, the way in which you probably are able to plan is very different than it used to be, right? I think a lot of brands used to plan years out, right? Looking at their, you know, a full fiscal, how are you planning and how's the rest of the team, you know, planning and looking at sort of the future? Is it, are you guys month to month? Is it week to week? Is it, you know, yeah. Wait and see what's your what's your approach been and how have you you know dealt with your 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 team. I mean, there's a couple of things that I think inform that for our company. One is that it continues to be largely, um, you know, held by a, a one family of which you know many sit on our board of directors, and so they are 
involved and understand kind of what's going on from a commercial standpoint and are very patient people. And, you know, we've been doing this for 150 years and we've gone through all sorts of um, historical uh, situations that have been devastating for, for communities or for businesses. And, and we've come out on the other end, uh, typically stronger, whether it's prohibition or world wars, um, you, you name it. And, and so I think we will continue to um, look at this with a long lens and, and be um, careful and pragmatic and supportive of our, our employees and their families and our partners and their families. And we're not in any rush to, um, you know, to, to, to make a decision because we think it might, you know, goose our number a little bit in, in leading into ON, October, November, December. It's just not worth the, the risk and, and, and the long-term uh, potential for our business. And, and, you know, it's just so great that that's what you need to be focused on. That's certainly what we're focused on and, and not really too worried about month to month or quarter to quarter. Um, though, you know, we, we want to stay on our toes and I think it's important for our people and our teams to feel like what they do today matters today. So we balance that, but really it's, it's, we've got to be thoughtful and we've got to be uh, considerate of what everyone's going through. Um, because it, it's not just the economic side of stuff. It's really the, you know, just the, the, the emotional uh, strain that this is bringing on, on families and, and individuals. It's really true. Well, Campbell, this has been a really interesting conversation and I really appreciate your perspective on what, you know, you're doing and what Old Forester is doing in order to sort of adapt to, uh, you know, all the changes that we're seeing. So thank you so much for, sure. for taking the time to, to chat with me today. Is there anything that uh, you wanted to mention that I didn't ask? Gosh, I'm probably, and I'm going to get yelled at when I, uh, <laughs> when this airs, you know, look, I just, I, I really appreciate the ch- the chance to chat with you and, and I like what you're doing around this time and, and getting some perspectives out there. So um, we're just uh, happy to be in a position where we can talk to you about business. Well, thank you so much, Campbell. This, is, this has been great. And I, I wish you and the brand nothing but the best moving forward. And uh, you know, hopefully we'll be able to check in in you know, six months to a year and, and, and see where everything is then. Outstanding. Thank you. Thanks so much for listening to the Vine Pair Podcast. If you enjoy listening to us every week, please leave us a review or rating on iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, or wherever it is that you get your podcasts. It really helps everyone else discover the show. Now for the credits. Vinepair is produced and hosted by Zach Jabal, Erica Ducey, and me, Adam Teeter. Our engineer is Nick Patry and Keith Beavers. I'd also like to give a special shout out to my Vinepair co-founder, Josh Mallon, and the rest of the Vinepair team for their support. Thanks so much for listening, and we'll see you again right here next week.